Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. We are back to our series called Asking for a Friend, where we're tackling some very important, sometimes very controversial topics that I think it's important for the church to look at and address so that we know how do we handle these things. So we spent a couple weeks on homosexuality. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those. Very, very important for us to understand what's going on in today's world and culture regarding homosexuality. And what should Christians believe about that? Talked about that for a couple weeks. Had fun last week with our three-year anniversary of Rivers Church. Had a lot of fun with that. But hey, we're back to this series now. So we're hitting some good topics. And today we're going to talk about politics. You ready for this? You showed up on Political Sunday. Oh, guys, this is going to be so fun. So question for you. Is it possible to be a multi-partisan church? Very quiet right now. Oh, Lord. Is it possible? Okay, maybe here's a better question. Do I even want to be a part of a multi-partisan church? Or does Jesus want us to be a multi-partisan church? Just something to think about. You can talk about that at the lunch table later on, all right? You know, there are a few issues in family and life that will cause division more than politics. Religion is the other one, right? So we're just going to combine the two here in, in, in our Sunday morning gathering. We're going to talk about both, and I think we can do it in a healthy way, in a fun way. You know, as a church, we will sometimes address issues that we feel are issues of humanity and morality, but instantly, the moment I say them or anybody else says them, what happens is we filter those through our political lens. And it's because of the culture we live in. So even as we spend a couple weeks looking at homosexuality, there's a lot of political opinions out there about how we should handle homosexuality in the LGBTQI plus community. So we talk about abortion, instantly that becomes a political issue, right? But we feel that's an issue of humanity, not politics. It's an issue of morality, and so it's important for us to really look at these topics. We're going to hit gender identity and abortion in the next couple of weeks, and we want to look at those from a biblical perspective and just kind of throw the politics aside in those, but it's kind of hard sometimes to hear that, so that's why it's good for us always to go to the Word of God. And I will say this. I think it's okay for you to be a political person. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's okay for you to be passionate about your country, this amazing country that we live in, and to have a passionate opinion politically and about all the policies and all that, there's nothing wrong with that. Do you know the Bible is not anti-politics? In fact, the statement, Jesus is Lord, is actually a political statement. Because when they declared that back in the day, what they were saying is Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And so that was really, in a sense, a political statement. And so Roman people would have heard that and they would take offense to that. Like, no, Caesar's Lord. No, Jesus is Lord is what the Christians would declare. So it's in a sense, it's a, 
political statement that denied Caesar as Lord. When Jesus declared the kingdom of God is at hand, that was also political in nature. Because he says there's a new kingdom here. I brought a new kingdom. And Jesus preached about the kingdom that he brought that continues to be here and is advancing and growing daily. Uh, he, He brought that. He preached that more than anything else. And that, in a sense, was political because he's like, okay, there's a new kingdom here in town. And I'm the king of it. So this new kingdom invaded. It wasn't like a territorial kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom that, that, that overshadows all territories. But people would hear this through that political lens. And so this new kingdom came to the kingdom of Judea, to the kingdom uh, of Rome. And so that is also a political statement. In fact, the word gospel actually has a political identity as well. Did you know that? The root of the word gospel simply is this good news, and it was something they would declare as good news about anything back in the day. We think the word gospel means the story of God and how God sent his son, Jesus, to redeem uh, mankind and reconcile us back into relationship with him. Okay, that is the gospel that we preach and we declare now, but the, the original meaning of the word gospel was just good news that people would come into town and say, hey, good news, I got a gospel. Our king conquered another territory. And so they would come and proclaim this gospel. And so Jesus came and proclaimed the gospel. Good news, a new king has come to town and he is gonna make all things new. But in a sense, that had political roots. So the Bible is not anti-politics and even there's a lot of things that we would declare that can be political in nature. Now I wanna have some fun with this. I'm gonna throw out a bunch of different animals and maybe you identify with one of these animals. You got the animal of donkey and the animal of elephant, okay? And so that's a political picture right there of who you might lean towards. Uh, There's a few other animals that maybe you would find yourselves more in line with them, like you would follow the way of the giraffe or the ostrich. And so the giraffe is somebody who stands tall above somebody and looks down on everybody else and like, oh, y'all are crazy. And we just judge people who get caught up in all the political scene. You're a donkey, you're an elephant, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm better than you, and I just look down on you and judge you. Okay, that's a giraffe. Some of us have that posture when it comes to politics. Come on, y'all are crazy. You just need to listen to me. Uh, some of us are like the ostrich. What does the ostrich do? Bury its head in the sand. and like, I don't care. I don't want to talk about it. Don't, don't talk to me about this. So which one do you follow? Like some of us go in the way of the donkey, elephant, giraffe, ostrich. If you tend to be the ostrich, you have no idea what the donkey and the elephant represent probably. You might guess, you got a 50-50 chance, but you don't really, really know, right? So there's a lot of people that find themselves following the way of one of those animals, but I want us to be people who follow the way of the lamb. It's important that we look to the Lamb, Jesus, the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We want to follow the way of the Lamb. He loved people so much that he laid down his life for them, and we want to follow his example. We want to serve people. We want to connect with people. We want to love people like Jesus loves everybody, even people who are on other sides of the political spectrum. Did you know that? Do you know that Jesus actually loves people who vote differently than you? It's a shock, but he loves those people, and so we want to follow his example. I just want to love people no matter where they are at in the political spectrum. That means we, we honor people even if they have differing opinions. See, Jesus is 
for all people. He has a heart for all people. And I think we want to make room for everybody in our church, no matter what political party they ascribe to or don't want to subscribe to. And I just thank God that we already have differing political views within this church, because here's the deal. The goal of our church is unity, not uniformity. And sometimes we feel like it should be uniformity. I want to be in a place where everybody looks like me, acts like me, and believes the same thing I do and votes like me. That's uniformity. But we want unity. Unity is really only possible when you have people of differing opinions and backgrounds and places. They come together and they agree. They agree. That's unity. That's what we want here. We want to unify under Jesus. We want to be Jesus-centered people. We want our church to be all about Jesus. We're going to unify around him, the Lamb of God. Psalm 20 says this. says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that, in a sense, has some political nature to it because what the psalmist is declaring is that, hey, we don't trust in our armies and in, in conquering and all that kind of stuff. We, we trust in the name of the Lord. Our trust is not in government. Our trust is not in our president. Our trust is in Jesus. And that's where we want to put our trust, in the name of the Lord and follow the way of the Lamb. Now, everything that I have said to you right now, I said all those words almost verbatim, somewhere around there, close enough, in January of 2020. Little did we know what was going to happen in the year 2020. Anybody remember 2020? It's kind of a blur when you start sometimes think about, back to it, right? Little did we know. I remember I said all of those things. I said, hey, guys, let's unify under Jesus. And I can't even tell you how divisive our church became in 2020. And literally had people that, that said this to me, I can't worship in the same room as them. I'm like, what? Like, you realize that they were that way like a year ago when you did worship in the same room with them and you loved them and that was, everything was cool. But now because they posted something, you can't worship in the same room? Like, do you know who you're worshiping? <laughs> do you know who, how he's calling you to live? And I, I can't, I could go on and on talking about all these statements, but it just became very divisive and I, we saw even within the church that there was a hard time unifying around Jesus because we want uniformity more than we want unity. And I want to declare here today that we want to unify around Jesus and we want to continue to make this a place that anybody can come to and worship Jesus and find Jesus and follow Jesus. And as we do that, let's make sure we go to the word and we let the word direct all of our decisions all of our voting, all of our, how we just live our lives, right? That's the important thing. We're all on a journey. We're all in process, right? So the church continues to be really divided about this. And there's a lot of churches out there that are like, we got, we're, we got to declare war, guys. We got to declare war on all those left-wing, leftist, Marxists, and you'll hear all the name calling and all that kind of stuff. And you can go and you can go to church conferences and go to places where you can learn how to declare war and do this. Uh, there's one recently that took place last month called Jesus in Politics. And some of the things they said in this conference, I'm like, whoa, this is kind of scary. They're like calling Christians to arms. Like, you guys need to get your guns ready because uh, there is a war ahead. And we are prepared to fight. And one of the quotes was, we, like, we're not going to be cowards. To be ruled by cowards in a time of war is a curse because God hates cowards. And I'm like, whoa. 
But, and, and so these people are really going to the extreme of saying, we just want political power in this country because that is God's will. So we can fall into different perspe- uh, places on this spectrum here, but it's important that we go to the word and ask, like, Jesus, how do you want us to handle all this? And this is something we've talked about in this series, but we got to remember where the battle is. It's not against people. The battle is in the spiritual realm. We got we to gotta battle on our knees, friends, and love and serve people. So I just looked at the date this morning in the middle of our prayer service. I had this thought, this revelation. I think today we're exactly one year away from an election, a presidential election. And it is. It's actually November 5th, next fall. Today, we will be voting on a new president. Are you ready for the next presidential campaign year? <laughs> I know, it's like, Lord, please, no. Like I, okay, I just wanted to just, just stir up the anxiety in the room here. That's all I wanted to do, right? Those of you online, you're feeling it too, right? It's like, oh, here we go again, here we go again. It's good for us to think about this because we want to plan ahead. How am I going to live? How am I going to operate this next year? Because ready or not, here it comes. 2016 was crazy. 2020 was over the top, even worse than 2016. And it's going to be very, very divisive in the next 12 months. And you and I have to be prepared to be representatives of Jesus in this campaign season. So uh, we're a year from this next presidential vote. I want to tell you who to vote for. Can I do that? And next year I'll have a list of all the people you need to vote for. But here's who you should vote for, whoever you want. That's the only way I can get around that, right? But today we're going to talk about the separation of church and state and politics while we're in the church. So let's talk about politics. What are politics? You can see those two words in politics. Poly, it means many. Ticks, those are blood-sucking creatures. So that's what politics is. In this sense, it's what you got. Many blood-sucking creatures, right? Do you agree? You feel that? Politics, right there. (laughs) So anytime you uh, bring up politics, like I said, it can be very divisive. It can split a family in two. You hear stories of people not talking to family members for years because of politics. A lot of people say you shouldn't talk about politics in the church. And some people think you have this, you should have this separation between the secular and the spiritual or the sacred. And, And I think we should just just embrace Jesus everywhere we're at. We should be following Jesus, and it's all good. You know, some people will even like, you can't play secular music in church, but I can listen to it in my car all day long. You know, so it's like, no, I think we should be Jesus people, embrace the sacred everywhere. That's how we should live. And so some people really shy away from being involved in politics, and Christians should not do that. So should we be involved in politics? I think we should, and if you feel called to be a politician, you most certainly should be involved in politics. But at the very least, I think we should be aware of what's going on so that we can be informed citizens and informed voters. Not just, what's my political party? Check, 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 you know? And, and then, you know, then I'm like, okay, I struggle with the, the, the different policies. Like, should I vote yes or no for the school board levy this week? I don't know, Lord, heeny, meeny, miny, mo. Lord, help me out here. We should be informed voters. We should know what's going on. I think that's part of our 
our duty as citizens of the United States, right? Did you know that for the first 200 years, pastors were free to talk politics and they were free to preach what the Bible says about the issues confronting government? They even preached for and against candidates from the pulpit. That's how we used to have it back in the day. Uh, In fact, Charles Finney is quoted as saying in the late 1800s, he says, the time has come that Christians must vote for honest men. Okay, this is what he preached. Must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics. Christians have been exceedingly guilty in this matter. But the time has come when they must act differently. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country, which we love and pray for, unless the church will take right ground. It seems sometimes as if the foundation of the nation are becoming rotten. And Christians seem to act as if they think God does not see what they do in politics. But I tell you, he does see it, and he will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take. Could be said of today, right? (laughs) That's 1868, the Reverend Charles Finney. So for a lot of years, the church just kind of spoke out and did this because there technically was no separation of church and state. But the Johnson Amendment really began to change things, 1954. The Johnson Amendment refers to a change in the U.S. tax code, and it prohibited tax-exempt organizations from endorsing or opposing political candidates. So when you study the history of the bill, it shows that it was pushed through the Senate without any analysis, no committee meetings, just kind of was pushed through quickly. But Johnson actually never had churches in mind with this amendment He was after the nonprofit organizations that had rallied people against him. Unfortunately, churches fell into the same tax code as all of these other nonprofit organizations because they are exempt, and so churches got lumped into this. So it really was not an attempt to separate church and state in 1954. But let's go back even further. What is the origin of that phrase, separation of church and state? And can we find that in the Constitution? It's actually a phrase that was, we think, first used by Thomas Jefferson. Other people have used it through the years, but uh, he, he wrote this in a letter, and it was him expressing the intent and the function of the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, which reads this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So the intent of this clause was to limit the power of the federal government in regards to religion, thus ensuring freedom of religion in the United States. The phrase separation of church and state is generally traced back to, the, uh, to a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote about all of that, addressed to the Danbury Baptist Association, um, January 1st is when it was, of 1802. And this is what he said. He said, I contemplate with sovereign reverence, that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should, and he quotes, make no law respecting an establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, end quote. Thus building a wall of separation between church and state. So that phrase is actually not in the Constitution, but we've nearly made it a constitutional mandate. The constitutional mandate of the First Amendment is actually we're all free to practice religion however we want, right? And we also have this freedom of speech. 
So what happened is now how we interpret that and how we interpret the Johnson Amendment has caused people to have a big divide on this topic. Oh, we can't do any separation of church and state. You cannot bring state or you can't bring religion into the state and into government at all, but that was never the original intent. So, but it's interesting how it's almost become a constitutional mandate. So I think it's important for us as Christians to be aware of these things and to exercise our free rights. Somebody even walked in here this, this morning and said, I just praise God I get to worship God here in this country and, and get to be here today for free. And so I think we should thank God for this country. There's a lot of brothers and sisters around the world that can't do what we're doing today. And they're having to do it in secret. They know they could lose their life. Would you show up here if you knew you could lose your life? There's a lot of American Christians that would never show up to church because they could potentially lose their life. I'm telling you, those are the committed people, right? When you hear about the fastest growing church in the world, the underground Iranian church, what they say is there was missionaries that came in and they had these churches and what they had in these churches was what they called converts, because when they began to get oppressed and, and it became illegal and they began persecuting the church, all the converts left and the church is just dismantled. But the true disciples of Jesus continue to meet together and they know every single day they could lose their life. And so they were differentiating between a, a convert and a disciple of Jesus. And so I hope that we can grow as disciples. And, you know, I, you know, we hope that it never gets to the place where it's illegal for us to do this. That's why we thank God for this incredible country, right? But hey, you never know, friends. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if some worldwide pandemic ever hit and affected everybody on the globe? I mean, that's just kind of a weird thought, isn't it? Is what we used to say. You never know what can happen. And so we just gotta be ready to follow Jesus no matter what. But we can thank God for the day and age that we're enjoying right now. So as a pastor, I obviously have a First Amendment right as a private citizen, and I can do anything except endorse or oppose political candidates from the pulpit. Can't do that, not allowed. The church can't do that either. The church cannot conduct political fundraising. But what we can do is we can address issues that people are wrestling with. That is very legal, and I think it's appropriate. But like I said at the very beginning, what happens is we start talking about these topics, it becomes very political, right? And it's hard for us to filter that. So, you know, one of those topics can be racism. And I praise God that our country has come a long way in regards to this, but still to this day, the last time I addressed racism in this church, there was a divide because people view it politically. And I'm like, what? This isn't a political thing. This is like an issue of humanity, this is like you and I unifying under Jesus and loving our brothers and sisters no matter what's going on, right? So let me give us some advice, okay? I got a few words of advice for us as Christians. As we approach an election year, Lord help us all. Number one, remember your political party isn't perfect. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know that both sides go to church? <laughs> Now, both have changed over the last 20 years, and I think it's important that you and I all continue to grow and change and learn. Sometimes we read scripture and we learn something. We're like, I need to change my political views because of what I'm reading. And sometimes we read scripture and we're like, this reinforces kind of what I've thought all along. But I need to be open for the Lord to inform me on how I should think about these things, right? 
Joshua 5, there's an interesting little story, short little story that happens. God is getting ready to lead the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, into their land. And so Joshua now is the leader, and this literally is like the day before they're getting ready to go into the land and conquer. And this is what happens in Joshua 5. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. And Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. What an interesting statement. Joshua walks up to the angel of the Lord, says, whose side are you on? He's like, nah, wrong question. Neither. And sometimes this is how we approach politics. Which side are you on? Jesus, what side? Obviously, Jesus is a part of my political party, right? But Jesus would say the same thing to us. Neither. No, you're thinking about it all wrong. Jesus would not align with any political party. He is above any political party. That's why we've got to remember, my political party is not perfect. It is not the savior of our country either, okay? Did you know there's actually 209 political parties in our country? 209. When we voted for our last president here in our state in 2020, there was only three options on our ballot. Did you notice that? You remember that? There's only three options. Other states had more options. California actually had six options for president. Colorado had 21 options. Like, what's going on? Like, why, don't we, like, why are we missing out on all this? Remember, Kanye was one of those. Kanye ran for president, right? How crazy is that? Okay, so number two, just some words of advice for us as we enter an election year. Remember that political talk radio and news stations care too much about ratings. Please remember this. Oh, Lord, help us all. They like to tell us they're on a moral crusade. They're going to help us know the truth. We're unbiased. But they're lying. They just care about money. That's all they want. They like to get rich by instilling fear and paranoia in their listeners. We got to be careful how we allow those voices to be louder in our life than the, the, the voice of Jesus in our life, friends. Jesus' voice must be the loudest voice in our life. We must process everything through him and through his word. Because, you know, you got one station says this. I mean, I don't trust anybody these days. Are you with me now? It's like, okay, I don't mind listening to the news sometimes, but I just don't trust all of it now, any of it, much, much of it. So I don't even know where to land on that. It's just hard to know who to believe these days. So I say, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. And let's, I just stay in the word. And I'm in that way more than I'm into news media and all that kind of stuff. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And this can happen to us. Like our pure devotion to Christ can be led astray by these deceptions and all these other messages that come in. And all of a sudden, it's like we feel like I'm just... I'm doing an okay thing, but our heart drifts away from the Lord because we're just being deceived by all this propaganda. And that's why we need to keep Jesus front and center. So remember that. Political talk, radio, and news stations care too much about ratings. Number three, 
Don't be paranoid. You don't have to be paranoid. Can I just say that this country will not be destroyed if the other candidate gets elected president? It won't happen. America has functioned for a long time with this pendulum swing of control. Have you noticed? <laughs> Between Republicans and Democrats. You know, and I, you know, I wish there were more political parties, but that's just kind of where it's at right now. They've got the power because they got the money. So whenever one power swings to one side, the other side's like, oh, our country's going to hell. We've got to save our country. Then the, the pendulum swings back, and they got the power like, oh, thank God. We're gonna be the other side's like, oh, no, we've got to save our country. You know, if you, you see this, and you can just flip back and forth between news stations. You can hear it. You can see it. And you can feel it, right? You don't need to be afraid of this. There's nothing to fear. Remember this. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That's the spirit, the spirit he has given you. We want to operate in the spirit of power and the spirit of love and of self-discipline. By the way, I don't think this next election will be the most important election ever in the history of our country. A lot of people want to make you feel like it is. It's important, but not, I think the most important election in the history of our country still was when Abe Lincoln was elected. I mean, think about the division in our country at that time. And before then, we thought it was okay to own people. And so we're thinking, like, that was probably the most important election ever. All right, so don't be paranoid. God's got us. God's got you. He's given you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Number four Regardless of who wins, honor your government officials. Honor them. Speak well of them. 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. This is God's heart, guys. He wants everyone to be saved. Pray for all people. Now remember, the New Testament was written in a time where Rome ruled the world. So all these Christians, they're facing oppression from the Roman Empire. It's, it's, as the New Testament decades go on, it, it's becoming persecution, but at least it's oppression. They have control. And these are words that Paul is giving to, to Timothy as a Christian leader in Ephesus about his government officials. So we always got to keep the context in mind. Because sometimes we read those and we're like, well, yeah, they, they weren't here when we had this president in our country. And Paul wouldn't say the same thing nowadays, certainly. No, they were dealing with the Roman Empire. What we got is good compared to the Roman Empire, all right? Romans 13. Let's look at Romans 13. Really good passage here. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. Did you know that? All authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. 
For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. That's pretty clear right here in the Word of God, isn't it? It's so important that we live out God's Word and how we handle and talk about and discuss politics. If we find ourselves mocking government officials, I believe it grieves the heart of God. If we're putting them down, uh, we need to spend time honoring our leaders and less time tearing our leaders down. Honoring is biblical. Respect and honor. So regardless of who wins, honor your government officials. This is how God instructs us to live. And then number five is this. Make your life about Jesus and his mission not politics. This has got to be the priority. Jesus and the mission he's given us is the priority of our life. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gives some final words of instructions to his disciples. We read this last week at our three-year anniversary. I'm going to look at just a few of the verses again because this speaks to what we're talking about today. This is interesting. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Have you ever noticed that question in the midst of this Holy Spirit passage here and this empowerment to be witnesses? The disciples, to the very end, are saying, okay, so now we're getting to the place where like, we're going to rule and reign over the earth, right, Jesus? They're asking a very political question. So Jesus, we're getting ready to like conquer everybody, right? It's gonna like, you're the king and we're gonna be ruling with you. This is in a sense what they're asking. Is, is it time for your kingdom now? Is this it? And so this is what Jesus says. The father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples were still looking for a political Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 don't worry about that. Go back, wait for that gift, and that gift's gonna empower you to be my witnesses. And you're gonna be my witnesses. They're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. What's interesting, he's like, don't worry about that, but this kingdom I've been telling you about, it's gonna grow. Because Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom, not a political kingdom, not a kingdom about borders uh, and people. It's a spiritual kingdom. So isn't it interesting that he describes that? 
okay, don't worry about that, that, that day, but just know you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses, and the kingdom is going to expand. We want to be all about Jesus and his kingdom and his mission, not politics. The priority of our life is not that our people get voted into office or that everybody agrees with me in politics. The priority of our life is Jesus and the mission that he has given us because we want people to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Like, that's, that's the greatest thing that could ever happen, right? Not the fact that, man, I'm just so glad that that person grew up in the United States of America and they got to experience a free country because I helped bring a free country and all that. I mean, that's good, praise God. But this is all gonna end. All the kingdoms of the world are gonna end and only one kingdom will remain and is the kingdom of Jesus. That's why we want to make him that priority. And number six, the last one is this, and Tony's gonna come up and help us with this one because this is, relates to his story. You are an ambassador. Thank you, Tyrone. I, uh, <clears throat> I found it was interesting. I was talking to Rachel about this uh, about a week ago, and I just said, isn't it funny that one of the main reasons that the people living at the time that Jesus walked the earth, one of the main reasons they didn't follow him is because they were looking for a political messiah. And they rejected Jesus because he didn't come ready to overthrow the government. Yet, here we are, we laugh at that now, right? We look at it like, duh, it's so clear, right? You ever looked at scripture and thought about that when you look at the disciples and, and the people, you're like, it's so clear. Like, obviously, he's going to come back and do that later. That's it's so clear. But now we've turned Jesus into a political messiah. We have made him a political figure today as opposed to the God that he is. And, and that was actually my story. Uh, a couple years ago, I found myself, this is just, just before the pandemic, I found myself, um, I'm at work, sitting at a desk all day, uh, got a headphone in, and it was only political commentary, constantly. I'm listening to, uh, and I'm just going to be honest, you know, if you judge me a little bit on this, cool, you can take that up with Jesus, but I'm, I'm just, it's hardcore, just right-wing stuff. Like, I'm listening to Ben Shapiro, followed by Matt Walsh, followed by Steven Crowder, right? Like, all day. Um, and, and what I found was that I'm sitting at work. I work at Amazon. And so everyone around me doesn't agree with me. And I'm sitting there. I got, like, one buddy. And we go in the corner. And we're just talking trash the whole time. Wow, these liberals. Right? Um, but I felt like I couldn't express myself, really, because everybody else disagreed with me. Right? So I would come home and I would start talking about it at home. Like, oh, do you believe these liberals? They're trying to push this and they're trying to da 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 and just being honest. And I'm saying this to my wife. And uh, finally one day I, I, I said something about, oh, I literally said these stupid liberals. And Rachel turned around and she just looked at me. And she said, she said, Tony, you have not created a place in this home where I feel like I'm allowed to disagree with you. I don't feel safe to disagree with you in our home. And I was broken because here I am like, I'm not even thinking about Rachel at all. I'm not thinking about where she might be. Or what, I'm just thinking, oh, I can come home and just dump this. I can just let it all out because all my frustration is building up because this is all I'm hearing. It's all I'm feeding myself. And then I would come home and just dump it on my wife. And she's like, I don't want to be here. She's like, literally, she's like, I don't want to be here right now because I don't feel like I can disagree with you. And, and when it hit me that I wasn't creating a safe place in my home, like the protector of my home, wasn't making it safe, like, man, that hurt. And so I went on this journey where I was kind of like, man, Jesus, I, I believe that the reason I believe these things is because of your word. Like, I feel like that's why I lean this direction. But what I'm finding is I'm a jerk. 
Like I'm finding that I'm, 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 I'm not showing people your love. What I'm doing is, is just breeding more hate. And that's not what you called me to do. And so I start going through this journey where I'm allowing Rachel to talk. I'm like, you just tell me. I'll be quiet. You tell me what you're thinking. And I'll keep my faces to myself and my, my little, you know, <clears throat> noises, right? And I'll just listen. Like, you just tell me. And, and, and ultimately what happened is I came to this one message. This is a couple years later. And I'm still kind of wrestling and still little too much commentary, but I'm slowing it down. I'm filling it instead. I'm finding some Jesus podcasts, right, instead. And um, this one podcaster who I really respect, he said this, and it just blew my mind. He said, you know, you're called to be an ambassador of Jesus. Ambassadors don't have opinions. If the president sends an ambassador to Germany and he says, hey, I want you to tell him this, that ambassador's job is to tell them whatever they were told to say, right? That's all an ambassador does. The moment the ambassador breaks that and starts saying their own opinion, they're fired. They're gone. They are no longer necessary because an ambassador is just a megaphone. A president can't be everywhere. So he sends his ambassadors, he calls them on the phone and says, tell them this, go negotiate, and hangs up. And that's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a megaphone for Jesus. And so I, I, I had this moment where I just said, you know what? It's time that I put my opinions aside. And sometimes I read scripture and I feel like, man, Jesus' opinion doesn't line up with mine and that makes me mad. Honestly, it makes me mad. And I have a decision. Am I gonna be the voice of Jesus or the voice of Tony? And, and, and so I just encourage you all, especially as we're coming into this season, man, I, I'll tell you this super quick story. I, I came in here one day, there's this uh, Asian guy at my work and he was very conservative and he loved it because he's like, you can't call me racist, right? So he had this stamp and it was like a Trump stamp and he would just walk around and stamp people's like papers on their desk. And so uh, he just had so much fun with it. Well, one day he like stamped my desk and I was like, yeah, do it again, you know, just joking with him. And he stamped this piece of paper like three times. So it just said, Trump, make America great again, three times on this piece of paper. And I cut it and I put it in the back of my phone case. Like, oh, now I got my Trump phone case. What up? And that was on like Friday. And then I come to church on, on Sunday and I'm sitting right here and I see this new guy come in for the first time. And he's wearing a shirt that's obviously very liberal. I didn't have to question him. He was making a statement himself. And I was sitting there and I'm wrestling with the Lord and I'm looking at my phone case and it, the Lord just spoke to me very clearly and quickly. He said, if that guy sees this phone case, is he gonna feel welcome here for me to speak to him or is he gonna walk out? Is the fact that you feel proud, that you're allowed to have a political party, is that matter more to you than this guy knowing me? And I kind of, in my pocket, popped my phone case up and pulled that piece of paper out and I crumbled it. And I went and threw it away. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in light of eternity. What matters more is if that guy knows Jesus. Way more than who I got to vote for. So be informed, but also remember the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus was to sacrifice himself and to sacrifice, I mean, he literally humbled himself, took on a human body, and sacrificed all things. And, and I can sacrifice my ability to speak about a political figure in order to see somebody know Jesus. So thank you. So good. Thanks, man. So let's look at Jesus here. 
the passage that we looked at at the very beginning, Matthew 22, this is how Jesus uh, handled a, a very political situation. Uh, then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. We got two groups here. You got the Pharisees and you got the Herodians. And these two groups are always at odds with each other. But here in this moment, they try to, they, they come together, unify to try to get Jesus, to trap Jesus, because if he agrees with one of their sides, they got him. The Pharisees, they were a religious group that opposed Roman occupation of Judea. The Herodians were, in a sense, a political party. They supported it. They supported Herod, Antipas, and the policies that he instituted there in Judea by Rome. So they come together, unify together, though they never do, but they want to trick Jesus. And so Jesus says, or this is the question they asked the teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are in partial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus do their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. See, what happened is if Jesus had agreed that it was right to pay taxes to Caesar, the Pharisees would say he's opposed to God. You're against God. And, th and that was the only king that they recognized was God. But if Jesus said the taxes should not be paid, then the Herodians would hand him over to Herod and charge him with rebellion. So obviously in either case, they weren't motivated by love in this asking of question to Jesus. But Jesus brilliantly exposes their evil motives, and he actually embarrasses them because they just had to walk away. So by avoiding this trap, Jesus teaches us three things. I see three things here. Number one, Jesus is smart. You can't trick him. Number two, uh, we have a dual citizenship, you and I. As citizens of the United States, we're called to pay our taxes. You realize in that moment there, Jesus could have given us a biblical reason to not pay taxes. You read that and think, Jesus, come on, you missed your chance right there. Oh, now I have to pay my taxes. Shoot. Uh, but also as a citizen of God's kingdom, we must walk in obedience to God. And we gotta give him our tithes and offering as well. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. He said, give to both. And so we're dual citizens. And so we've gotta handle that as well. We believe in tithes and offerings and it's not a tax that God needs your money. That's not what it is. It's, it's God just wants our heart. He wants all of us. And so he knows that that will help our heart. It'll set our heart free to trust him more as we give of our tithes and our offering. So we have a dual citizenship. And number three, Jesus did not come with a political agenda. The Jews had been waiting for generations for the Messiah. Tony mentioned this briefly. But here's what happened. The Jews had a hard time reconciling the two different Messiahs that they saw. They saw a suffering Messiah and they saw a kingly Messiah. So they deducted, there must be two Messiahs. We're gonna see two Messiahs come, and so they were really anticipating the kingly Messiah, though. The suffering Messiah, they didn't know how to reconcile. But what happened is, was it wasn't two Messiahs coming once, it was one Messiah coming twice. He came as the suffering Messiah first. 
and then he's going to come back as the kingly Messiah in the very end, which we look forward to that day, right? But they were looking for the kingly Messiah that was going to deliver them from Roman oppression. That's what they wanted. Jesus didn't come that way. Jesus could have easily taken over the world. That wasn't his agenda the first time. His, first, his, his agenda was to set you and I free from this slavery of sin in our life. It was a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual agenda. He didn't fight the tyranny of Rome or that Caesar thought himself to be God. He didn't even fight for the abolishment of slavery. He came to save us on the inside first, to deliver us from the power of sin. But he is coming back and he will overthrow everything. His kingdom will stand to the end. It is the only kingdom that will stand. And we must always, always remember that. We have dual citizenship and we can praise God that the citizenship we have in this country is a good one right now. But there's one that is, takes priority over that. It's the kingdom citizenship. And that one's eternal. Okay, so one last scripture for us here. First Peter. Can you bring this? This is so important for us. And how do we live this out? First Peter 2. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as the head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that your, that, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Very important statement there. God's will is what? That how we live our life should actually silence ignorant statements that people say against us. This is God's will for us. How I live can actually silence ignorant talk. I pray that you and I live in such a way. The decisions that I make in my life, the words that I say, that can actually silence ignorant talk, or it can actually increase it too, by the way. But God's will is that I silence it by how I live my life. Okay, so verse 16, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family believers. Fear God and respect the king. Respect the king. Other translations say honor the king. This is where that respect and honor comes in again. Whoever it is, whoever our governor is, whoever the president is, you and I are called to respect and honor that person. This is the principle we need to live by towards everybody, but it's also very clear that we need to do it towards government officials, right? Verse 18, you, are, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. You know what's interesting is the early church didn't usually speak out against slavery. It doesn't mean they supported it. That's not what the Bible teaches. They just didn't speak out against it. Their focus was primarily on the gospel, the kingdom. That was their priority. That's what they tried to do. And this, I'm going to read a whole passage here now. And I, I just want you to receive this and listen to this. For God is pleased. When conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, 
He is your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned. nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now, you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. And let's never, ever lose sight of what Jesus has done for us and how he has called us to live the same way. And maybe today's a day of salvation for you to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. He took your sins in his body on the cross so that you could be healed, forgiven, and set free. Maybe today's a day for you to say yes to Jesus and, and say thank you to Jesus for what he did for you and took your place in death. Your sin sentenced you to die. But Jesus did that for you. So how do we live this out, friends? We follow the way of the lamb. That's what we do, right? We are people of the lamb. That's the animal we want to identify with the most. The lamb. I love what John the Baptist said, he said this, next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Two of Jesus' disciples were disciples of John that immediately followed Jesus at the moment John said that. There he is, the Lamb of God. And later on he said, there he is again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Can I just say it matters who you're following? It matters. Be careful what you follow on TV. Be careful what you follow in the media. Be careful who you're following. But we want to always make sure that you and I are like those two disciples. I'm going to follow the Lamb of God wherever he goes. That's who we're called. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.